Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate you joining us today, whether you're doing that in person at one of our campuses or online, either way. Super glad that you're here. Uh, as you can see, we are in week five of our Be the Church journey. And for the last month, we've been exploring together how to live out our faith outside the walls of our buildings, to, to move from just going to church to learning how to be the church wherever we go. And so obviously our focus has been on serving those outside of our church, meeting the needs of people in our community as an expression of our faith and as an opportunity to reach and connect with them in a way that would allow us to share the hope of Jesus with them. And certainly that is the heart of what it means to be the church. But there's another side of the coin. There's another aspect that I am convinced is essential for us to be the church, and that is serving each other. Meeting the needs, serving, helping one another within our church family. In fact, I am convinced in order for us to be the church that God has called us to be, and in order for us to do the things that God has called us to do as a church, we must be willing to serve each other within our church family. Not my words. Notice what the apostle Paul writes in Galatians 6. He's talking to the church and he's saying, therefore, whenever you have opportunity, we should do good to everyone. But then look at what he says, especially those in the family of faith. Yes, do good to the people out in the community, help wherever you can, but don't forget to care for each other as believers. Paul not only emphasizes it, it's almost as if he prioritizes serving one another within the church. And on the surface, that seems sort of self-serving, right? It seems kind of inwardly focused and it seems counterintuitive to this concept to be the church, right? Because if the mission is outside of the church, why is it so important that we serve each other inside the church? That's a legitimate question. And I believe the answer to that question is that the more we help each other inside the church, the healthier we become as a church. And the healthier we become as a church, the more effective we can be at carrying out the mission outside of the church. Does that make sense? It's kind of like when you're flying on a commercial airline, before they take off, they give you that safety briefing. You know, one of the things they always say is, if the cabin loses pressure, oxygen mask will drop down from the ceiling. And they always tell you to do what first? Put on your own mask first before attempting to help others put on theirs. Why? Because you gotta take care of number one, right? You put your mask on because if you don't help yourself, nobody's gonna help you. No, they say that because it's hard to help others if you're passed out from hypoxia. 
And it's the same way for us as a church. If we're not healthy, if we're not serving one another in here, it becomes difficult, if not impossible, to serve those out there. And so that's why here at Cedar Creek Church, we believe everybody who calls this place home should serve, yes, outside in our community and also inside the church family. That everyone should have a place to serve within your campus, within your home group, right? Not everybody can serve everywhere, proven by the fact that no matter how many times I sign up to be on the worship team, they won't let me sing. So not everybody can serve everywhere, but everybody can serve somewhere. We all have a place to serve. And the more you are willing to do that, the more effective we become at living out the mission that Jesus has called his church to live. We gotta serve inside and outside. In fact, you see that throughout Jesus' life on this earth. That yes, Jesus served and cared for the outsiders and the crowds around him. Everywhere he went, he reached out and cared for them. But he also served and cared for his inner circle, his family, those who were closest to him. And probably one of the best examples of that actually happens during the final hours of Jesus' life on this earth. In fact, it takes place shortly before Jesus is about to perform the greatest act of service anywhere for outsiders. Jesus is about to give his life on the cross so that outsiders could become insiders to the family of faith. And in the middle of that great outside service, Jesus stops and takes the time to serve and meet a basic need of those closest to him, his inner circle. This event is recorded in John's gospel, the 13th chapter. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn or click there. If not, it's okay. If you're in person, it's on a printed program. Key verses are there. Also on the online outline as well. So everybody can follow along. Now this event takes place in the middle of the Jewish holiday known as Passover. This was an annual celebration where Jews from all over the region would travel to the city of Jerusalem for a week-long celebration. And this was a celebration of God freeing them from slavery in Egypt. And so the crescendo, the highlight of the holiday week was the Passover meal the Seder meal where families or groups would get together in small circles and they would go through this meal where the the ingredients, the things on the table, the things you would eat were all reminders of the great miracle God had done thousands of years before. And so Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem in what will be the final week of Jesus' life on this earth. They're, They're there now, they're in a borrowed upper room. That's all we're told. Obviously, Jesus and his disciples didn't have a vacation home in Jerusalem. They had no place to stay. I don't know how they found this place. Maybe they went on Verbo and booked this room. I don't know, but they're in this barred upper room together, getting ready to celebrate this pinnacle moment of the Passover holiday. And right before they start the meal, Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his robe, 
wraps a towel around his waist, takes a pitcher of water and a basin, and he goes around one at a time and he washes the feet of his disciples. Now we look at that and that seems weird, right? Washing somebody's feet. You don't typically wash feet when somebody comes to your home, right? But in that day, that was a normal daily occurrence. The the having your feet washed was not some special holiday event. It was a regular daily thing. You walk on dirty roads, shared with animals, with open-toed sandals, your feet were filthy. And so you just didn't go into somebody's home with dirty feet and lay around their table. Someone would wash your feet. For us today, we don't have to do that. We just wipe our feet on a welcome mat, right? Because the dirt, we have clothes, shoes, the dirt's on the bottom of our shoes and you just wipe it off. Washing of feet was as common to them as wiping your feet on a welcome mat is to you. It's not weird that they got their feet washed. What's weird is that Jesus is the one who washed their feet. Because that job of washing the feet of guests always fell to the lowliest servant. The lowest person on the totem pole got that job. And it makes sense because it's a nasty job. I mean, I'm sure your feet don't stink, but I would hate for you to smell mine, right? And so it's not a pleasant job. And so if it was a wealthy family that had servants, the lowest servant would wash feet. If it was not a wealthy family, one of the children, usually the youngest who was able to do it because it was a low man on the totem pole job. But Jesus, their master, their savior, their teacher, their rabbi, he is the one who washes their feet. You know, I've taught this passage more times than I can count. In fact, I've taught this particular passage more than any other single passage in all of Scripture over the 30 years I've been a pastor. I don't know why I'm drawn to it, but I do know this. Every time I teach it, two things happen. One, I'm reminded of truths about serving that I should have remembered, but I've forgotten. And secondly, I see things in this encounter that I've never seen before. And so as we look at this passage in this context of being the church by serving each other within the church, I see three keys as to how to do this. Three keys to serving each other. You might wanna write these down. Number one, you gotta start with the right motivation. Serving each other means I gotta start with the right motivation because when it comes to serving each other, motivation matters. It's not just the act of service, it is the why behind the service. And right off the bat, John wants to tell us the reason why Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Notice verse one. John says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Jesus was not motivated by his obligation or duty to them. He was motivated by his love for them. See, if we're not careful, serving others, particularly in the context of the church, can be done out of a sense of duty or obligation. I serve in my church because I have to. 
right? If, if I don't do it, nobody else will. Or, or I need to serve in my church so that God will approve of me and bless me. We serve out of duty. And while certainly as Christ followers, we have duties, we have obligations to the body of Christ, to our church family. But if duty is my only motivation, that service will quickly turn to drudgery. I can't believe it's my Sunday to serve again. I gotta go back up there. I gotta lead that group of four-year-olds. I gotta smile and make people feel well. It's my Sunday to make coffee again. It's my Sunday to be an usher. And all of a sudden, serving out of duty becomes drudgery. And here's what'll happen over time. That drudgery will turn to bitterness. Bitterness, nobody notices, nobody cares. I'm working hard. The pastor, the leader hasn't said anything, no pats on the back. And all of a sudden we get bitter about having to do it. And I can tell you in 30 years of ministry, two things happen when that bitterness takes hold. One, you will quit. I'm just not gonna do it anymore. I've done it for 20, 30 years. Nobody cares, it's not making a difference. I'll quit. Or you'll keep doing it. You'll just be ineffective at it, right? Uh, it's kind of hard to greet and welcome people on Sunday morning with a sourpuss on your face, right? It kind of defeats the purpose of how you are serving. But when you're motivated by love, it will not only keep you going when it's tough, it will not only help you hang in there when it feels like nobody notices or appreciates, but it will help you serve effectively over the long haul. I remember years ago, our founding pastor, Richard Swift, and I, shortly after I came to Aiken with our family, he and I got to go to a pastor's conference. We chose to go to this particular conference because a pastor we both greatly admired was one of the speakers at this conference. And we admired him not only because he was leading a successful, impactful church that was changing the world, but he had been leading this church for 30 years. 30 years leading this exact same church. And I'll never forget, at the end of his session when they were doing Q&A, somebody in the crowd asked him, Pastor, what is the secret to this kind of success? What is the secret of leading a successful church over the long haul? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, you gotta love the sheep. You gotta love the people that God has called you to lead and serve, because love is the only motivation that lasts. And listen, that's not just true for those of us who are pastors, it is true for all of us as Christ followers. We are called to love not only the messy, broken, hurting people out there, but we're called to love the messy, broken, hurting people that we all are. We have to love each other. That's why Paul writes in Romans 12, 10, to the church, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring, in serving each other. We'll never take delight in serving each other unless we learn to love each other. And by the way, I've shared you with this with you before, two of the feet that Jesus washed that day belonged to Judas. The very person who had already made up his mind to betray Jesus and Jesus knew he was going to betray him and he washed his feet anyway. Why? 
Because serving each other is not about the worthiness of the recipient. It's about the heart of love of the servant. You have to be motivated by love. But as it doesn't end with having the right motivation, there's a second thing we have to do, and that is develop the right perspective. You have to develop the right perspective. Here's why. Our perspective is the number one source of our actions. How I see God, how I see myself, and how I see others ultimately will determine what I do and don't do. My perspective on those things controls my thoughts, and my thoughts ultimately control my actions. See, Jesus washed his disciples' feet not just because he loved them, but also because of the perspective he had. John wants to make sure we understand that. That's why he writes these words in verse three. I'm using the living Bible paraphrase. John said, Jesus knew, Jesus knew that the Father had given him everything. And he knew that he had come from God. And he knew that he would return to God. See, if we're not careful, we read that verse and it feels like flowerly language that John just added to, to spiritualize the story, to, to make it have more feeling. But that's not why John wrote these words. He wrote them because he knew this was a key component of the story, that Jesus' perspective on himself, on God, and on where he was going, Jesus had a clear perspective of who he was and why he was here. That's why John says, Jesus knew. And then he lists three things that Jesus knew that determine why he served. I've underlined them there. One, Jesus knew the source of everything he had. That he knew God had given him everything. Jesus also knew why he was here. He knew that he had come from God. He understood that the purpose of his life was not about him that he was on a mission from God that was bigger than his own personal desires. And then finally, John said he also knew where he was going, that he was going back home. Jesus knew that this world and the stuff of this world was not his. And it's that perspective that caused Jesus, for Jesus, his serving was as natural to him as breathing is to us. You say, well, he was God in the flesh. Yeah, that's part of it, but he was also fully human. And it is this perspective that made serving just flow out of his pores as natural as anything. And as we develop the right perspective, it moves us to serve others. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, again, he's talking to the church, you were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You see that connection between perspective and service? When you recognize what God has freed you from, what he has done for you, and the gift and purpose of life he's given to you, the more you see through that perspective, the easier it becomes to humble yourself and serve others. So can I ask you a personal question? What keeps you from serving others? What is the barrier that keeps you from serving consistently on your campus? What is it that keeps you from serving the needs of people out here in our community? 
If we were on the game show, The Family Feud, the top three answers on the board would be one, busyness. I'm just busy. Life is busy. The kids are busy. Work is busy. The second answer on the board, fatigue. I'm just tired. I'm tired. I work six days a week. At least on Sundays, I can have one day to rest. Third answer on the board, I don't feel qualified. God cannot use me. I cannot serve in the church because I've done this or I still have these issues or I still struggle with doubt, so I'm not qualified to serve in God's church. Let me tell you something. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the calls with the power of his Holy Spirit. All of those things are simply outward can't get the word out. Outward symptoms of the true source of why we don't serve. And the true source is always selfishness. It's always selfishness. I don't serve because I want to have what I want and do what I want. As busy as I get, as tight as my life gets, somehow I always find the way to do the things I want to do and to pay for the things I want to pay for right? It's selfishness. Now, I'm talking about me. I'm not accusing you of being selfish. I'm saying the biggest barrier to me in serving others is selfishness. That's me. For you, it's denial because you don't think you're selfish. But we've all got this. that We all deal with it. And I'm saying this not to bash you over the head so you will feel guilty and sign up today to serve within the church. Because remember, if you're motivated by guilt, that's a waste of time. If you feel guilty to sign up today, don't sign up because you won't make it. Got to have the right motivation. I'm not telling you this to bash you over the head. I'm just being honest. And here's the thing. Once you know the source is selfishness, what you begin to realize is there is no instant cure for selfishness. There's no prayer you can pray. There's no sermon I can preach so that when you wake up tomorrow, you won't ever deal with selfishness again. Not gonna happen. Self-centeredness is a constant, continual struggle we will have to the day Jesus calls us home. And it is a daily battle. I'm just saying the best way to fight that daily battle is to change your perspective. See, we try to fight it with our willpower. I'm not gonna be selfish. I'm gonna discipline myself to serve and get over my selfishness. And you will for about two weeks. But if you can begin to change your perspective, if you can wake up every day and remind yourself what God has done for you, and remind yourself of the purpose and mission of your life. If you can remember that this world and the stuff of this world is temporary and not your home, as you begin to develop that perspective, serving will become more and more natural for you. You gotta have the right motivation. You gotta have the right perspective. And then number three, maybe the most important part to serving each other is you gotta respond to the needs around you, right? You gotta respond, you gotta do something, you gotta get up out of your seat because when you're motivated by love and as you develop the right perspective, not only will you start to see the needs around you, but you'll know how to respond 
to those needs. Of all the truths that's in this story, the one that is easiest to miss is found in verses four and five. Look at what John writes. He's talking about Jesus. He said, so he got up. Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Why did Jesus wash their feet? To set an example for us? Yeah, that's what he will say later. To demonstrate that true greatness is found in humble service? Yes, but don't miss the obvious. He washed their feet because their feet were dirty. He saw the need around him. See, over the centuries, the church has taken this idea of washing of feet and turned it into some sort of hyper-spiritual religious ritual. Like there are churches and denominations that have feet washing ceremonies. In fact, even here on our Banksmill campus, our original campus, we have a statue of this event of Jesus washing the disciple Peter's feet. We have that as a reminder, as a symbol that we are called to serve others. But don't let the symbol become more important than the act itself. This is simply about meeting a basic practical need of the people around you. In fact, Peter tries to turn it into some kind of spiritual symbol. Because you'll read in this passage, when Jesus gets to Peter's feet, Peter's like, Lord, you're not gonna wash my feet. And Jesus is like, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part with me. And then Peter said, well, wash the whole body. Wash my whole body. He's trying to make it spiritual, like I need another baptism. A washcloth scrubbing baptism, I don't know. And Jesus said, no, somebody who's had a bath doesn't need that. Only your feet are dirty. It wasn't some sort of spiritual, hyper-religious ritual. It was simply the act of meeting an obvious practical need that was right there. Every person sitting around that table had dirty feet. And every person around that table knew somebody needed to wash those feet. They just didn't think that that was their responsibility. Somebody ought, Jesus ought not to have to do it, but somebody ought to have to do it, but not me. How often does that happen? We walk around the church and we see a need and we go, somebody ought to meet that need. Somebody ought to do something. The church ought to do something about that. And you're right, but guess what? You are the church. In fact, maybe the reason you're noticing that need is because God is calling you to be the one to step up, get up from the table and meet that need. I can't tell you where you need to serve. I can't tell you how best you can serve, but I can tell you this, when you do serve, as you serve, it helps us collectively be more effective at what God has called us to do and you will be blessed because of it. I'm gonna close with these last words of Jesus. Jesus says, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Now that you know these things, 
God will bless you if you do them. Would you pray with me? In the quietness of this moment, I just want to ask you to just bow your head, close your eyes, no distractions, and just ask yourself this. Whose feet need washing in my world? In my family, in my church family, my campus, my home group, my neighborhood? Father, would you help us follow your example? not out of a sense of duty or obligation or because we have to, but because we get to represent you, be more like you by serving each other within this beautiful broken body of your church. Father, would you help us, your church, live out these truths through the power of your Holy Spirit We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.